Hi, book lovers. This is Ellen Hildebrand, best-selling author of 30 books, including The Hotel Nantucket and The Perfect Couple. And this is Tim Ehrenberg, creator of Tim Talks Books. And you're listening to Books, Beach and Beyond, presented by N Magazine. We'll be diving into the wonderful world of books and featuring special guests from best-selling and award-winning writers, publishing industry insiders, agents and editors, book influencers, and more. There's nothing Ellen and I love more than talking about books. And our favorite question to ask each other is, what are you reading? But we'll go even further here on the show, exploring the craft of writing, the process of book publishing, and that wonderful connection a reader has with a favorite book. But before we head into our episode, we want to take this opportunity to thank our incredible premier sponsors, Nantucket Book Partners, Marine Home Center, the Nantucket Hotel, Cartelina, and Nantucket Looms. Without their generous support, we wouldn't be able to bring you these fascinating conversations with some of the most dynamic leaders from the book world. So thank you. And now on to the show. Hi, Tim. Hi, Ellen. Here we are back in the studio. So I always want to ask, starting every episode, what are you reading right now? So right now, I am reading the ARC, aka the Galley, aka the the Advanced Reader Copy of Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. And we will be bringing Ann Patchett onto the podcast in a few weeks. The book is so beautiful. I've been a huge Ann Patchett fan Oh, God, decades. And this is a beautiful, just classic Ann Patchett novel. Yeah, she's such a great storyteller. It's not even, it's further than being an author. She's a true storyteller. Yeah. I'm reading The Rachel Incident by Carolyn O'Donohue. I read that. It's coming out in June 27th, I mm-hmm. think. It's taking me back to my college days in the uh, best, so the best way. You I read abs- it, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I cannot absolutely wait. loved it. But now on to today's episode, I am so excited I have been wanting to chat to this author for years. So who do we have today? Today, our guest needs no introduction, but I have one anyway. Taylor Jenkins Reid is the author of the New York Times bestselling novels, Carrie Soto is Back, which is recently out in paperback, Malibu Rising, Daisy Jones and the Six, and the like multi-million, million, million selling copy, Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, as well as One True Love's Maybe in Another Life, After I Do, and Forever Interrupted. Her books have been chosen by Reese's Book Club, Read with Jenna, Indie Next, Best of Amazon, and Book of the Month. Her novel, Daisy Jones and the Six, was adapted and released by Hello Sunshine into a limited series for Amazon. She lives in Los Angeles. Welcome to the show, my darling, my beloved, Taylor Jenkins Reid. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. We are so happy to have you. Thank you for saying yes to us crazy kids here on Nantucket, 30 miles off the coast. Hi, Taylor. I'm such a big fan. I'm so excited to have you you on the show today. That's so kind of you to say. So we've never met in person. Hmm. We we know each other a little bit through social media. And I blurbed, someone sent me a copy of Daisy and the Six before it came out. And I just preemptively sent a blurb like, I don't even know if you want this, but here it is because it was so great. We wanted it. I assure you we wanted it. <laughs> and so because I we've never met, never chatted, I don't know how you got started. I don't know how you became a writer. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your origin story? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm from Massachusetts. What part? I'm from Acton, Massachusetts, which is 45 minutes outside of Austin. And I grew up there 
for most of my teenage years, I was there. And I just always knew I wanted to move to Los Angeles. I mean, the thing is, it's so funny because now I live in Los Angeles. I've lived here for a really long time and I ache for Massachusetts. I I, I ache for a New England fall. Every September is brutal for me here in LA. But I just really wanted to be where the movie stars were. So I went to Emerson College in Boston. Yep. And then I moved out to LA. And at first I had no idea I wanted to be a writer. I thought I wanted to be a casting director. And so I got a job in casting. I worked in casting for about four years and I loved it. It was actually a very cool job. I got to meet like all kinds of, you know, celebrities that I'd had crushes on when I was a teenager. Like basically if they if they were on what was called the WB in the 90s, <laughs> yeah, yeah. if they were a cute boy on the WB, I met them and that was very fun. I want to interrupt you for one second because I want to dig deeper here. Okay, so yeah. so many people go out to LA and they they want to be movie stars. But you yeah. you didn't want to be a movie star. No. You knew that you wanted to go into or you thought that you wanted to go into casting. Like that's so yeah. specific. So what was it? Like what was it about the casting that you found intriguing? You know what? It's funny because at the time I couldn't have told you. I just knew that that's how I felt okay. and I've had time to reflect on it now and seen the direction that my life has ended up taking and it seems very obvious to me that what it was, was I wanted to be involved in creating characters. Right. Okay. I wanted to, I've never myself wanted to be famous. I mean, as an adult, maybe when I was like nine years old, you know, but, and I've never wanted to be on screen. To me, the fun part has always been creating the people that this story is going to be about. And that's something that that has followed me through in writing stories too, is I don't really care what happens. I just care who it happens to. Right. That's my my focus. And so at first I thought, well, how much fun to take a script, take a character on a page and bring them into three dimensions by choosing who is the perfect person to bring this character to life. And that was really fun. But I started to get the sense as I as I got a little bit older and I got into my mid-20s, I felt like, oh, I actually think I want to be, I want to make the character. I want to create the character in the first place. Would have made a lot of sense if I just went and wrote a screenplay (laughs) given, you know, what I was doing, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to write a book. And so I just, I, on nights and weekends, I just thought, well, why don't I try to write a short story and see what happens? And that short story became really what what you'd call a novella. It wasn't long enough to be a novel, but it was way too long to be a short story because I had no idea what it was doing. And I got so much encouragement from the people around me who read it Okay, that I, you know, one of them sent it to somebody who sent it to somebody and suddenly this agent calls me and she says, I think I can sell this book. And it turned out she couldn't and that's fine. But the first book that I went out with didn't sell I I remember I was, I want to say I was 27. Right. And that was, I found it. This is the thing. This is where I was headed. I know what I want. And it was very clear from that moment on, this is what I'm working toward every day. Okay. So then how, how do you break through? I mean, how do you, how do you sell then your first novel? You start, so you do the smart thing, which a lot of people who will be listening to this are probably aspiring writers. And I always say, 
You, you have to keep going if your first oh, yeah. book. So like I also wrote a book that has never seen the light of day and people say to me, oh, I wish we could read that book. And I'm thinking, no, nope. you don't. It's <laughs> awful, like horrible. And you would yes, not recognize same. it as my work and you would not want to read it. But th that's often part of the process, right? So after your first novella slash novel sort of gets passed on, gets passed around, is but get some success and acknowledgement, then what happens? Well, I got enough very encouraging rejections, yeah. which is to say that it was, we're not going to buy this, but if she has something else down the line, we'll we'll read it. Right. And I'm the sort of person where when you tell me that, I'm like, well, let me just write another one. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you didn't like that one? Let me just write another one. And I remember having a conversation with my husband and I said, this is what I want to do. I want to quit my job. Because I was working in Hollywood, which is very long hours. It's very difficult to do anything else if if you're working in Hollywood. So I said, I'm done with Hollywood. I'm going to quit my job. I would like to take two months before I find another job. Are you okay with that? And he was incredibly supportive and said, okay. So my husband paid the bills for two months. And I went and wrote my debut novel, which became Forever Interrupted. Okay. I got up every single day. I went to the library. I worked an eight-hour day writing that book with, with you know, an intense ferocity. Yeah. And ended up selling that book about a year and a half later. Okay. And how exciting was that? And who was your publisher? And did you have an agent? And what yes. was the... Okay. So can you talk a little bit? I found a new agent because the first agent, I remember I, I sent them the first draft of Forever Interrupted. And they really did not like it. Okay. And that was very, very hard for me because, I mean, I'm sure you had this moment where once you get an agent, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, okay, like, I'm, I'm real. Like, this could really happen for me. I, I'm separated from the pack. I, I, I have something right. that says, you know. And so when I turn in my second book and she did not like it as much as my first book that didn't get published... I had a really hard time. Right. That makes sense, right? Because you felt like, oh, this was your champion and this was your person. Yeah. And then it was a disconnect. So then how, I'm trying to think what I would have done in that. It's hard to know. Did you think, I'm just going to stick with her anyway? Or were you like, or was it like sort of mutually like, okay, let's part ways? It was, I re-edited it a number of times to try to get her on board. Uh -huh. And when it became clear to me that it just, the very premise and execution were just not for her. I left her and I had no agent and I cold queried, I think, 27 agents. Okay. And I think three maybe got back to me requesting a full manuscript. Okay. And one offered me representation. That person was so smart, Taylor, <laughs> FYI. And the others are kicking themselves. And that makes me laugh just thinking about it. Yeah. So Carly Waters really ended up being my, my first real agent. Okay. And she she sold Forever Interrupted to Greer Hendricks at Simon & Schuster. Yep. I know Greer. In a two-book yes. deal. Greer is the best. And I'm so grateful to have had a first editor who was so nurturing and had so much experience she taught me so much about the publishing industry. She also taught me a lot about how to tell a story and what I didn't need to do and what I needed to improve on and various things. But she also took a chance on me. Sure. 
and gave me that two book deal. And then when those two books sold fine, I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and saying they sold fine, I think is being a little bit kind. But at the time, like, you know, she gave me another two. Yeah. And, and looking back on it and what I know about the industry now, I mean, again, I, I, I can do nothing but marvel at the way that the world helped me. You know, I had a husband who said, fine, go write this book for two months. A lot of people don't have that. Mm -hmm. I had an editor who was like, okay, you didn't break out with the first or second. Let's give you a third and a fourth. Yeah. You know, these are the incredibly fortunate ways in which, you know, if, if I had not been given those opportunities, I might not be here where I am. And my third book is where things started to take off. Okay. Where, where, you know, you get the mention in People magazine. Right. And and now the libraries are starting to stock it. And sometimes when I go into a bookstore, it's there. You know, that was was my third book, maybe in another life. Okay. It's not surprising that you love creating characters because Taylor, you have created some of the most culturally iconic characters in the last of recent times. Evelyn Hugo, I will always remember when she's coming out of the water in that scene in her movie or <laughs> yeah. in Daisy Jones and the Six when they take the album cover photo. Yeah. It's just, you've created these like, cultural moments that I almost Google and I'm like, they must exist because they are just so, they just resonate so much. Did you plan? How did you go about building those characters that you wanted to create and then make them so iconic celebrities? That's really a huge compliment. And and I want to take a moment and just appreciate you saying that because I think that if if I could have had anything, you know, 10 years ago when people were not paying attention to my work quite as much, I would have killed for somebody to say exactly that. That would have been a dream come true to me. And so in this moment, I don't ever want to take that for granted. It really means a lot to hear you say that. The thing that I started to realize with my my fifth book, which was The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, was that I didn't have to be bound by my reality, a more pedestrian I wake up, I get my breakfast sandwich, I go to work sort of reality. If I want to pretend to be a movie star in the 1960s, I can do that. And that broke open the ability to write characters who do things that I would never do. And that has been the most incredible gift. The thing that I enjoy so much about someone like Evelyn or Daisy or Nina or Carrie is that people don't make sense. They aren't consistent. Correct. And yet you can tell if you know a person well enough, they would or they wouldn't do that. You have a sense of, oh, you know, my friend, I can't explain to you why, but I know she wouldn't do exactly what you just said, but I know she would do this. And it's not that there's a consistency to it. It's not because it's like, well, you know, my friend never lies. It's like, no, I know exactly when she will lie, when she won't lie. And so you take someone like Evelyn or Daisy and the question for me is not what are they like or what words would describe them, but what would they do and what wouldn't they do? Right. And and the character forms from that. There are so many things that Evelyn Hugo would do that I would never, ever, ever do. But there are so many things that I would do that Evelyn is not bound by. Hmm. And there therein lies the joy of inhabiting another person. I could tell you 
And it's from just writing the draft over and over and over and thinking about her day and night and reading about other movie stars and asking myself, it's almost like a litmus test. Oh, you know, Joan Crawford did this, would Evelyn do that? You know, Elizabeth Taylor did this, would Evelyn do that? And you ask just over and over and over so many times and you end up with this person that I can tell you exactly what she would say. She lives in my brain enough that I know exactly what she would say. Could I describe her in six words accurately? No. And and that to me is what a person is. That's what a that's what a woman is. And it's the most fun part of my job to get to create these women who are so much bigger than my life that I get to pretend to be someone so much bolder than I am. With Carrie Soto, I get to pretend like I would say these things that she says that I would never say. I'm not a woman who would stand up in front of a crowd and be like, I'm the greatest of all time. You must (laughs) bow down to me. I don't even think that, you know, but it feels so good to pretend to be that for a minute. And I hope that it feels good for the reader to pretend to be that woman too. That's exactly what it is, right? That's exactly the magic. All right, we're going to take a quick break from our conversation with Taylor Jenkins Reid so we can thank one of our premier sponsors, Marine Home Center. The beauty of Nantucket has long inspired homeowners to create wonderful places to live. And Marine Home Center has been the go-to island resource for almost 80 years. On a five-acre campus overlooking Nantucket Harbor, contractors and homeowners find proven high-performance building materials and hardware, as well as a wide selection of appliances, furniture, floor coverings, paint, garden supplies, and so much more. Marine Home Center's experts are always here to help you build, decorate, and live on Nantucket. Discover more at marinehomecenter.com. Marine Home Center is that place that I go in and I need one thing and I end up walking out with all the things that I actually, I mean, I want, but I probably didn't really need. It's just such a great place. I know. It's so funny how seminal it is to Nantucket living experiences. Everybody, I mean, I've had an account there. You know, I had an account there when I was married. I I got my own account when I got divorced. And so I feel very, you know, independent. I've been doing a home renovation for the last seven years. And I couldn't do it without... Marine. We just call it Marine, right? Just MHC, like Marine. It's the center of building on the island. And I think if you're staying here and you need anything and you're like, where could I get that? Right. It's probably at Marine. Do you need a soup ladle? Do you need tablecloths? Do you need bedding? Foam foam pillows? Yeah. A lot of my bedding is from there. Yeah, absolutely. Paintbrushes. Oh, we love it. Thank you, Marine Home Center. Thank you. Speaking of celebrities, I have the honor right now of talking to two writers who have found their own celebrity in many ways. And writing is such a... It's such a solitary act. You both are in your writing spaces writing this book, but then you've also found this fame yourself. And that's got to be hard to juggle to go from the introvert of a writer to the extrovert of almost like the fame and the celebrity. So how do you both juggle that? I mean, that can't be easy to switch on and off. Well, I'm really curious about your answer, Ellen, because you seem much more like an extrovert than I am. You, you're you out there and you like... From a distance, you seem so social and lively and I am like a hobbit in a cave. And I'm so curious, like, do you find it? I was going to say, do you find it easier than me? But you don't know how I find it. (laughs) I mean, I am a very regimented person. So Hmm. super regimented. You know, I wake up super early. I work, work, work. 
And my work isn't always sitting down writing. It's thinking, it's reading. It's I watch a lot of watch a lot of really good television. For me, that's working, but I'm like always productive. I guess I wish to say is I wake up and I'm productive and I exercise. And so when I am with my readers, I am with my readers. And that is my time to be with my readers. I will not lie. I used to be really nourished by it. And I and I feel that declining a little bit because, and, and this must be worse for you, just so many people and you want to give them individual attention, right? But of course you absolutely can't. And it, you know, I see 10,000 women a year and it gets, you know, challenging, you know, because you want to give, you. I, I always think about Bruce Springsteen. The day I ever meet Bruce Springsteen, I'm going to be so excited. And I, I'm going to think to myself, he sees millions of people just like me. But you want, you just want his att- like actual attention for one, just one second yeah. or three seconds or five seconds. And that is what I always think of when I meet someone. I'm like, I am their Bruce Springsteen, right? So they are meeting me and I'm going to make sure that they get like an authentic experience. So that is something yeah. that's always in the forefront of my head. Ellen and I had a a really good laugh, though, because of something you posted on social media. I actually have it printed out here, and Ellen's (laughs) going to read a few. You two could be book um, author twins on these, some of these. (laughs) I was dying. (laughs) I'm like, this, because I have two speeds. I have red carpet, and I have like, uh, I look like a Muppet right now. I either look like a Muppet. I mean, I haven't showered. I can't tell you. Ellen always says, I look like a dirt sandwich today, but I'll sure I'll take your picture. I'll take a picture with you. But, you know, you sent, a, you posted an amazing social media post. I just, it blew, blew me away. If we ever come across each other on the street, I need you to know these things. And you know what you wrote. I'm happy to yeah. see you. If you get me on a day that I'm wearing mascara or pants with a waistband, wow, play the lottery that day. So honest. <laughs> so, so incredibly um, real. What what was the motivation behind behind posting this? So... I get, I am starting to get recognized on the street more. And it's not something that I ever thought would happen. It's not, I don't think you become an author because <laughs> you think you're going to get recognized on the street. And look, I live in Los Angeles. There are things that I have to do sort of, as you said, you know, there being two modes of red carpet and, and dirt sandwich. I, I often <laughs> say I look like a dirt bag. So we're, we're, you know, and so I definitely feel the pressure that, there are times when I'm standing next to four movie stars and I'm like, oh, here's, you know, the troll under the bridge that they let in, you know, with the movie stars. And I was just having, I, one of the things I was, I was talking to my husband about the fact that I really love meeting people. I actually really do. I was at the playground the other day with my daughter in Malibu. And I went into a shop and I bought a sweater and then I really liked the sweater. So I immediately put it on, which is like kind of an embarrassing move, but that's what I did. And I was sitting watching my daughter on the playground and the cashier comes up to me and I'm like, oh no, did I leave something in the store? And he said, are you Taylor Reed, the author? And I said, oh, yes. And I noticed he is a Sharpie and he's like, (laughs) my coworker's freaking out. When, when you said your name at the register, she, she like loves Daisy Jones and the Six. Could she come out? Would you sign her book? And I'm like, oh my gosh, of course. And she was so happy. Yeah. She was just so happy. And it makes me so happy to make someone that happy. Where I get fatigued is 
I'm nervous that I don't live up to your expectations. Right. I'm nervous that were you expecting somebody who like dresses well because I'm in my sweatpants? <laughs> were you expecting someone who like did their hair? Because And I will not change my life in case someone recognize. I can't do it. Like I'm already so tired just like being myself, you know, like just just putting the sweatpants on and my hair in a bun. And I'm already like, whew, what a day. And so like, I just don't, I don't have it. I don't have it in me to try to look good every time I leave the house. And I don't want for that to ruin the moment of you seem really excited and let's have this moment and let me, if my work has mattered to you, I want to take the time to let you know that that matters to me. Right. As you were saying, you know. I can't do both. I can't do that and pretend to be one of those movie stars. Right. I've seen what it takes to be that beautiful. I don't have it in me, you know? And so I just wanted to free myself of this expectation that probably I was the only one putting on me. Yeah. But can I tell you, I wrote that and it was part of a larger newsletter that that also goes into the two in, the two of the more embarrassing moments when like, I met a reader at a Barnes and Noble and I had spilled mayonnaise all over myself. Like I was just covered in mayonnaise. And she was like, oh my gosh, can I get a picture? And it's, I don't want to be a person who's like, no, I'm not going to take a picture with you because of this mayonnaise. I don't want to. So I was like, sure, man. Like, sorry for the mayonnaise. You know, like there's nothing I, you know. And there was another time, very recent, I'm embarrassed how recent this is. I was at the airport and I Really wanted a cupcake. I just really wanted that cupcake from the Sprinkles mm-hmm. cupcake machine. Machine. And, yep. and I, there was nowhere to sit. Packed airport. There's not a single table to sit. And I ate that cupcake over a trash can. That was what had to be done. And right. that's what I did. And I finished it and I felt so good. And then I turned and this woman goes, are you Taylor Jenkins 3? No. <laughs> no. Like, Did you just see me eat that cupcake over the trash can? Just maul that cupcake. Like, <laughs> and I just, I can't pretend to be someone that I'm not. And I just wanted to come out as a big slob. Yeah. And that's what I am. And it feels good. And can I, I, I don't know. I've really freed myself of something. Yeah. Because ever since I wrote it, there will be something in my head that's like, oh, should I put on real pants? I'm like, no, no, I was honest. I was honest about who I am. I don't have to pretend anymore. As a reader and a fan, that is, I think, what people want. They want that realness. Well, I was going to say, I feel no compunction to be neat or orderly. I do my, I do a weekly signing here in Nantucket every Wednesday at 11 yeah. in the summer. I come straight from my bar class. I am in my yoga pants. I'm in my ponytail and my, I will not take my sunglasses off for any reason because I ha- have no makeup on. People they love know that, that about you. They know that. I wonder though, Taylor, tell me if you think this has anything to do with it. I'm in Nantucket. It's the Northeast, whatever. You're in LA. Do you think yeah. it's because you're in LA? Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I will tell you the moment that I moved here, I became more self-conscious. Okay. I, I suddenly wasn't there was nothing that I could do to feel as glamorous as everyone else that I was looking at. Right. And it was a pressure that I put on myself that is like, I'll put the pressure on myself, but then not rise to it. So I'm doing both at the same time. I'm just like punishing myself, but not, you know. So I do think it's self-inflicted. One of the nice things about 
like a self-inflicted wound like that is that you get to decide when you're done with it. Exactly. And I just sort of decided that I was done with it. And it has made it so that, yeah, I mean, the other day when when I signed that woman's book at the playground, afterwards, my husband was like, you okay? Did that bother you or ruin your time at all? And I was like, I loved it. Okay, I loved good. It. You yeah. know, because I didn't, I don't have to pretend to be anybody else. I can just be myself and then people can deal with it. Your super talented self, you know? Thank you. Um, I have a question. It's a little complicated. Women writers get asked how they manage writing and having children. Yeah. I'm... I, I want to ask that question, but before I ask that question, I want to ask how you feel about that question. Okay. I love this question and I'm so glad you asked this question. And I've said this before and people think that I'm joking, but I'm not joking. I really want us to also ask men this question. Right. I think that is the solution because one of the first things that happened was I had a kid and I go, how is everyone doing this? I don't understand how to do this. And if everyone was, if we were talking more about how to be a parent and a writer, to be a parent and a teacher, to be a parent and, you know, whatever it is that you are, we would all have an easier time understanding that it's really hard. And most of us have have cobbled together a schedule, you know, that's held together with a paperclip and some duct tape. I want us all to talk about it. And I want men to be asked that. And I want, if the answer is my wife does it all, I want them to say that. Right. I want them to admit that because that's a structure that, that has been in place in our society for such a long time. There are plenty of women who have spouses who, who do the majority of the caretaking. Yeah. That is a, a, a way that sometimes it works. So let's talk about that too. If you if you write a book a year and it's because you have a spouse who does the majority of the parenting, let's talk about that. Yeah. You know, so I love that question. And my answer has changed over time as my daughter gets older. But the biggest thing is that when she was young, I had in-laws who helped and I had a nanny, part-time nanny. Okay. And if I did not have those things, I would not have the time. This, I don't, I am not the sort of writer and there are, I'm sure people like this, it's not me, who's like, oh yeah, I just take her to the park and when she's on the slide, I write a paragraph. It's like, no, I need to be in my office. I need it to be quiet. I need her not to come in uh-huh. so that I can focus. And then when I am done, I don't want to be sitting here writing anymore. I want to give my full attention to my child, but I have to be separate. So when she was little, it was that I I had a nanny and in-laws and, and a community of people helping me. Yeah. And now that she is older, she's in school and my husband has made the decision that he would like to be the sort of dad who picks her up at 3.30 from school and is with her until dinner time. Okay, and nice. That's, that is a decision that he has made for our family that is amazing for me because it means that I have from eight in the morning when she leaves until dinner time to do my job. I can't do it alone and I'm not doing all of it at one time. And I just, I remember having her and right before I gave birth, I had no idea how I was going to do all this. Right. And then she was here and I was like, I don't see a way into next week where I could write a book 
and, and do this. And I had to figure it out. And each person has to figure it out and, and everyone's different. But if we talked about it more, yeah, I think I would have heard more people like me saying, I have a nanny, I have in-laws, I have, and you just don't hear it as much. People don't talk about it. And so it, in a lot of times in my acknowledgements, I try to talk about who was watching my kid while I wrote this book, because I want women who read those acknowledgements to understand that it's like that whole thing about like you have just as many hours in the day as Beyonce. It's like, <laughs> no, no. Beyonce has so many people helping her. You cannot hold yourself to that standard if you don't have so many people helping you. I have people helping me. That's how it gets done. I think that question and that answer is going to help so many people listening right now. I agree. Because I think it's oh, something good. that everyone thinks that everyone else is getting through it and I'm struggling and it's just me yes. struggling. And that's not everyone's struggling. <laughs> Becoming a parent feels like that Instagram thing times 10, where it's like, oh, everyone else is having this really great life and I'm the only one who has a hard time. Right. And it's like when you become a parent and it's like, oh, she's, you know, she's not breastfeeding or she's throwing tantrums, even though I thought we were past this or whatever, you feel like you're the only person and it's just not true. And one of the best moments in life ever is when you can find someone you go, oh no, like it's going terribly for me too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like, oh no, I'm really struggling. Like I, I'm always thinking about how to balance being a mom and being a writer. They're always in not tension because I don't think they're diametrically opposed, but they're, they are, they have a direct ratio to each other and they give and take. Does she know, how old is she? So she is almost seven. Okay. And she is very aware okay. of every single one of my books. Okay. And how many people read them. That is something that she's keenly aware of and something that is an interesting new not challenge, but I I never want my daughter to think that the reason why I matter is because other people buy my books. Exactly. But she sees, you know, she can see that that people come up to me on the street uh-huh. and they don't come up to her father. Right. And they, they, she sees that. And so we talk about, I was, I was really, she was in the bath one night and I said, you know, there are so many ways that you can contribute to the world and they're all equally valid and something's not more valid just because more people know about it or more people know your name. And I was like, you know, what I do is I write books that that some people enjoy. But like, what does the mailman do? And she was like, well, he brings the mail. And I was like, so ultimately, is there one of those jobs that that is more important that, you know, we need more than another? And she was like, oh, definitely the mailman. Yeah. It's <laughs> <was> like, right. <laughs> we need the mailman as a society much more than we need what I do. And and she was like, yeah, the the mailman's way more important than you, mommy. And I was like, great, we're good. Like we're <laughs> you've got your your priorities right. Yeah, and I will say, my children do not care. No. God oh, love them. They only care. Did I make dinner? <laughs> Is there dinner? Can you pick me up? I mean, they're almost. They're, Why they're, didn't did you answer care? my phone call? They do not. You've never met three <laughs> when people they were who younger, care less. Did they care? No. No. Okay. No. They are so narcissistic. They only care <laughs> about themselves. And I'm not sure if that was if it's a success or a failure. Let's call it a success in your terms. Yeah. They don't care what I do. No, it's very good. That is a success. And now a short break to thank our sponsor, Nantucket Wine and Spirits. 
If it isn't already, Nantucket Wine and Spirits should be your go-to wine store on Nantucket. Open year-round and female and family-owned for over 45 years, it has a well-curated selection of wines and craft beers. And yes, they sell liquor too. Owner Alana spends her off-season tasting and searching for fun wines that she can stand behind for their quality and value. And if you miss Alana in the store, you can rely on all of her handwritten wine tags to help you find your next bottle, or of course, just ask. Her staff is well-versed in the wines and is always happy to help you discover something you didn't even know you were looking for. Find them on the Pleasant Street side of the Mid-Island Stop and Shop. They also have a door inside the Stop and Shop. Just head down aisle 15 and you'll spot them. Okay, when Ellen goes into Nantucket Wine and Spirits, what does she get? So Nantucket Wine and Spirits has a certain particular Sancerre that I absolutely love. And I love Levy, who works there. I've known him for years and years. And of course, Mary Walsh, who's Alana's mother, is my dear, dear friend. And we go to bar class together. So Nantucket Wine and Spirits is the wine store that I have been going to for 30 years. And it's always been right next to Stop and Shop? It used to be next to Stop and Shop. The old Stop and Shop, it was all the way on the left side of the oh, parking yeah, lot. So right. then they moved it with the new Stop and Shop. They moved it inside the store. So it's actually also the most convenient place because in Massachusetts, of course, you can't get beer and wine at the grocery store. But when you go to Nantucket Wine and Spirits, it's just basically the same. And it really is true. Their ad is true. You can walk in there and say, I'm having this for dinner. What kind of wine? They pair it perfectly. Right. It's just a, such, such a great place and so convenient being right there next to Stop and Shop. So thank you, Nantucket Wine and Spirits. Thank you, Nantucket Wine and Spirits. Okay, I have another question. Daisy Jones and the Six premiered. Amazing show. Loved it. Loved it. Thank you. Loved it. How was that process? I mean, it was cool as hell. I mean, the thing is, like, I didn't have to do anything. Right. Like, I just gave it to them. I picked the right people. I handed it over. And then when there was a rap party or a time to have fun, they called me in and I got to hang out like I did any of the work, but right. I didn't. And look, I think there are times where you hand your work over to somebody and you get really nervous and you're not sure. This was just not one of those times. Okay. From Reese to Scott Neustadter, who came on very early to write it, to Will Graham, who came on to run it. You know, Hello Sunshine and all the people there, the cast. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when they cast Riley Keough, I was like, cool, we're done. Right. It's going to be a great show. Yeah. Not worried at all. So I just at every level, they they delivered. And I just got to to sit back and be proud. Did it feel weird? I'm going through the same thing right now because the perfect yeah. couple is shooting over on the Cape and I've yeah. only been to with, with an incredible cast. Yeah. cast I can't believe crazy. this cast you have. It's crazy town. But I don't go, I mean, I'm busy and I'm working and I've got the kids, whatever. So I have only been once. I went over once and I'll go, I'll probably go one more. I haven't seen Nicole yet. So mm-hmm. I'll probably go one more time. And and when I went, the thing that was astonishing to me, Taylor, and you probably felt the same way, there are a hundred people working on this thing. Oh, yeah. There are 100 people. They're the big, the cranes with the big lights and all the people. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with me. (laughs) Like, it starts with you. It starts with you, but it just doesn't. Does it feel separate for both of you? Like, it's almost like that's another entity or does it feel like your creation? I feel like it's another piece of art, right? Sort of? Okay. To me, it's a different piece of art based on people who saw something in my art. Right. And and I've compared it before to if your book is is your child, people are always like, oh, my, you know, I have a book baby, you know. And to me, it's like the adaptation is my grandkid, which is to say that I didn't raise it. You know, I right. wasn't there for the day to day. If it does phenomenally well, 
I'm I'm so proud of my little grandbaby, you know? And like, if you made a mistake, it's like, well, her parents are really, you know, that was not my fault. That is a, you know? great, that analogy. Is a great analogy. And, and so- I'm going to adopt it, it. Yeah, please do. Because <laughs> it also gives you such a sense of distance. Yeah. If I thought that the Daisy Jones TV show needed to be exactly what the book was, then no adaptation. I'm never going to be happy with any adaptation. Right. It, it, it's not, you can't go hand over a story to someone and say, tell it exactly as I told it. Don't make a single change to the medium. You know, it, right. it's, you're handing it over. It's a sandbox and you're going to let somebody else go play in it. And so you have to be ready for the changes that they make and, and, and what they decide to do. And if you can embrace it like that, then it's all upside. Yeah. I got to watch those 10 episodes and see how phenomenal Sam Claflin is as Billy. Yeah, so And good. I didn't have to ask myself, oh, well, would my Billy have done exactly that? I don't know. That's not why I'm watching. I'm watching to see how good he is as Billy Dunn and to appreciate that this version is the only version where you're going to get these certain things yeah. that I didn't do that are super cool. You know, it's like, if you want to see what happens when Billy and Daisy are in the studio for the first time, if you want to see that chemistry in front of your eyes, this is how you're going to do it. Yeah. If you want to go read my version, I'm so happy to have you. Please, let's have this conversation for the first or, or you know, third time if you've read it before. I love that. And we can share that. But then we can also go share this new thing. Speaking of your book babies, Carrie Soto is out in paperback. Mm-hmm. If every book teaches a writer something different, what did this one teach you? Well, this book probably taught me more about myself than any book I've written. I, there's a lot that I learned from Evelyn Hugo about how I wanted to be as a writer. And there are things in Evelyn Hugo that I somehow wrote before I learned it myself, which yeah. is to say that, that I now need to take some of my own advice that I wrote in that book same with Daisy Jones, a lot, a lot in Malibu Rising, I come back to and realize that I already knew the solution to this problem that I've been facing. And I wrote it however many years ago. With Carrie Soto, that was the first time that I understood that personally, my addiction to achievement, what am I going to do next that's bigger than the thing I've ever done? How am I going to make it even harder on myself and then still do it? My, well, I'm going to turn the book in early so that, you know, you give me some metaphorical gold star and I get my pat on the head. I'm such a, a good girl who wants to get the points in this imaginary system that I make up so that I'm always, you know, working hard at something. I knew it about myself. I knew I should stop, but I also kind of thought, that it was cute, that I knew it and said I should stop, but was never going to stop. <laughs> yeah. And writing that book and putting some of my truth in it. Yeah. And then seeing it, I was like, oh, oh it never ends. I'll be 90 and doing this to myself unless I stop. Right. Like it's actually never, unless I decide that I am worthy of taking up space just because I'm a human being yep. and that I don't have to prove it every second of the day. 
I'm going to be like this forever. And it was like writing it down and putting it in someone else's words. I was like, oh, I, there is a monster inside me and it's not hurting anybody else but me. Right. It's annoying my husband, but it's only really (laughs) hurting me. And I just, since I finished that book, there have just been so many things that I have laid down. And it's a process. Yeah. And and look, Carrie, the voice that Carrie has in her head is derived from a voice that is in my head. We go about it differently. But it's still there. But boy, I mean, the other day somebody said, when are you going to turn your next book in? And I went, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet that felt good. <laughs> it, it was so weird. I was like, I literally don't know. I haven't calculated it. It'll, they'll get it when they get it. Yeah. (laughs) What? And you've earned that. You've earned that answer too. I mean. Well, you know, it's funny. I'm the only person that I needed to earn it from because I've had a team telling me to slow down for a long time. I have an editor who cares about me so much as a person that I've never felt a pressure. It's me. I was doing it. And I don't know if women, if people could read that book and just get one tenth of what I got in writing it of the sense that you don't need to prove anything to like earn the air that you breathe. You don't have to do anything on this time on earth except you decide what you're going to do with it. There's no... There's no major competition where when you get to the end, you're getting graded. You know, it's it's about like, for, for me, it's become much more about like, was I present with my kid? And was I good to, to the people around me? And was I good to myself? Right. And so I'm trying to measure my days with was, did I experience joy? Was I kind? Was the energy that I was putting out good? And not like, how many words did I write today? Have I done something that I've never done before? That's really powerful. Okay, we're going to close with a little bit of a lightning round. We have a few minutes left. And Ellen, you start. Okay. I feel bad asking this question since we, since after that beautiful, what you just said, but what are you working on right now? What is front? Let me, you know what? Don't even tell me what you're writing. What? Because it might not be, that might not be the answer. What project is front burner? There is currently a writer strike in Hollywood. Yes. And so because of that, every Hollywood project I have is on hold. Okay. And I believe so much in what the writers are striking of for. Course, and, yes. and I am out there on the picket line as well. So I don't want to take away anything of the hard fight that we have. Yeah. But it has opened up a time for me in which I have a quieter day. Yeah. And I have thrown myself into my next book in a way that feels so incredibly joyful. Oh, good. And I'm I'm lost in it and and intoxicated by it and I and nothing is intruding on that space right right now so I am fully in my next book that I have no idea when it'll be done or when it will come out okay that is amazing my lightning round question is going to be there's going to be really fast ones because I really loved your characters and I need to ask these questions so Evelyn Daisy Nina Carrie which character took you the longest to find their voice or story and you can just say their name you don't have to Nina which character would you call on the phone for advice? Oh, Evelyn, for sure. Which character would you want a night out with? I mean, can I put 
Daisy and Nina together only because I super want to hang out with Daisy, but I really need someone else to look at and be like, she's crazy. I don't know if we should do that. <laughs> yes, you can. Yes. And which character is most like you? Oh, Carrie Soto. Carrie Soto. I knew the answer yeah. to that. That's amazing. Yeah, after our conversation. Taylor, this was so amazing. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, honey. Thank you. This was so great. And also, I just, Ellen, I'm such a fan of yours. I'm so in awe of what you've done as an author, but also that you've you've made a community of people. And, and that, I mean, reading is so much about connection. Yeah. And to me, that's the thing I admire most about what you've done is you're connecting so many people. And I just, it really... Thank means a you. lot to me that you've been so supportive and so sweet and to have me on your podcast. I'm just, I'm very honored by it. Well, so we thank are you. so, we were so, we were jumping up and down. We were so, so excited. <laughs> when she sent me the email, I was like, yes, yes we, we, we only have to do one episode, I guess. <laughs> um, and, and not only because, you know, you are white, white hot, but because, you know, you and I connected so long ago and I thought yeah. I want just to talk to her. And, you know, there are certain things that you and I have in common just the experience. And it's, mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of friends that are writers unless we're right. I mean, we don't hang out together because we work alone. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast because I wanted to connect on a really personal level with the people who are doing the same kinds of things that I'm doing and you do it so well. So that means you just have to take well, that long you. flight across the country to come visit us in Nantucket Not soon. Not a problem. I will do it. <laughs> All right. Thank I'll be you, there. Taylor. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you for your time. Bye. 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 Hi, book lovers, Ellen Hildebrand and Tim Ehrenberg here again. Just a few closing notes before you leave. We want to thank our wonderful premier sponsors, Nantucket Book Partners, Marine Home Center, the Nantucket Hotel, Cartelina, and Nantucket Looms for their generous support in the making of this show. And we also want to thank our team behind the scenes, beginning with N Magazine. We want to thank our producer, Emmy Duncan, our technical director, Kit Noble, and our editor, Brian Murphy. We hope you'll keep tuning in for more book talks featuring a stellar lineup of special guests all season long. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time and happy, happy reading. reading.